today. Take your Bibles and open to John 15 as we're in our final um, sermon in our I Am series subtitled Jesus in His Own Words. Um, we're looking at all of these incredible statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And there's two items as we come to those statements, as I've said each week. The first is when Jesus says, I am, he's taking the very name of God to himself that was used at the burning bush with Moses when Moses asked God, who should I say sends me to Egypt to rescue my people? And God says, tell them the I am has sent me to you. So Jesus is claiming to be the very one speaking in the burning bush in the Exodus. And that means, secondly, that we have to come to grips with who Jesus himself claims to be. As C.S. Lewis says, he's either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he's Lord. But what we can't do is patronize Jesus like so many do and just say, well, he was just some good moral teacher. Well, a good moral teacher doesn't go around claiming to be God. And so you have to come to grips with either Jesus is who he says he is, and that changes everything, or... He's actually this incredible deceiver or crazy man that we should not be gathering to talk about. We should be burning all of his books and putting him out of memory. Okay, now let me remind you that um, as we come to this, that we, we've looked at six of these statements already. Okay, Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. He has said, I am the door to the sheep. He has said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And last week we saw him say, I am the way and the truth and the life. As we come to John 15, the final and seventh statement, Jesus is going to say, I am the true vine. That is my title this morning. Now as we begin, as you're turning there, let me give you again the surrounding context of John 15, okay? Jesus has taken his disciples back to Jerusalem where the Jews are seeking to kill him. He's had his triumphal entry. So this is Passion Week leading up to Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, his burial. Okay, He's been teaching in the temple all week. Now it's Friday evening, Okay, the final night with his disciples. He is, he's gathered for his Passover meal. He's washed their feet. He's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's told them that one of you that's dipped this bread with me in this cup is going to betray me. He's preparing his disciples for his soon departure. He's telling them he's going away. They can't follow him. And here's where Peter protests. Hey, Jesus, I'll die with you. Ain't none of this going to happen. And Jesus tells him, no, no, Peter, that's not what's going to happen. Actually, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Everybody's devastated. And so Jesus tries to comfort them and encourage them, right? He tries to calm their hearts and says, trust me as you've trusted in the Father. Um, you're go I'm going away, but you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas protests, and Thomas says, hey, Jesus, I don't know where you're going. If I don't know where you're going, I can't know the way. And then Jesus says, I am the way. That if you are connected with me, if you are in relationship with me, I will bring you to the Father. I will prepare a place for you and come again to receive you. And then the rest of John 14, Jesus makes these incredible promises that he's going to send the Comforter. He's going to send the Holy Spirit 
who will come and who will empower you for your future mission. The Holy Spirit will teach you and guide you and bring you peace. That's how John 14 ends. And now we step into the final teaching portion before Jesus leaves them in John 15. So these are some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples. The last teaching segment that Jesus wants them to understand in John 15. So if you'll turn in your Bibles there. This is what Jesus says. I'll read the text and then we'll move into the teaching. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. I have three basic principles that you see here, three basic movements of this text, or three basic truths that we will expound. Number one, Jesus says first, I am the true vine. That's what Jesus says. He actually says it twice, I am the true vine. This is his I am statement. Now, as we've been through this series, Jesus has revealed himself continually with simple but powerful metaphors, right? In all of the other I am statements, he said, I am the bread of life. It's a simple but powerful metaphor. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. Now he chooses to use the picture of a grapevine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now you have to ask here, well, what does that mean, I am the true vine? Well, first, this picture of a vine carries extraordinary biblical significance. As the vine is the symbol of national Israel. Okay? It was the symbol that God himself had given to his people. If you go look at Isaiah 5, 7, it says this. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the gardens of his delight. Or in Psalm 80, it says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus story. You brought a vine out of Egypt and you drove out the nations and you planted it. 
You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. It's the picture of national Israel. Now, that's only one of dozens of texts I could read. Now, Josephus even records that the Jews had decorated the gates of the temple with a huge gold grapevine, which demonstrated that national identity that God had given them. So the symbol of the vine to Israel is similar to the symbol of the American flag or the bald eagle to Americans. It is a part of our national identity and heritage. So every Jew, when Jesus would have said this, would have perked up their ears saying, I am the true vine. Now, it was, a, it was of national, historical, and theological significance. So when Jesus claims here and says, I am the true vine, he is claiming to be the very purpose of Israel's existence. Now, that is a huge statement. Think about that claim. I am the true vine. I am the one that God planted. I am the one that God sent. Okay, now... That's an incredible claim, just like all of the other I am statements that Jesus has made. I mean, think about this. In every statement, he's claimed to be the very God that Moses met with at the burning bush. He's claimed to be the very bread that God provided in the wilderness, the very light that led them on their exodus to the promised land. He's claimed to be the, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, which begins what? The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says, that is me. Okay? He is claimed to be the very resurrection of life, the very, the only path and way to the Father. Those are incredible claims. Now here, he claims to be the very purpose for which the children of Israel were chosen. So think about this. Your entire Old Testament, y'all have heard me say this. What's the Bible about? Jesus. Front to back, from Genesis to maps, it has been about Jesus. Okay, all of Israel's history, going back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David, all of that history was ultimately pointing to one person, and that is Jesus. He is the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3. He's the root of Jesse, the promised heir of David. He is the true vine and the true Israel. That's who Jesus is. All of the promises made to Israel find their yes and amen only in Jesus. You go home and think about that the rest of the day. Let that shape the way you look at the world. Jesus is making this claim. So here, Jesus claims to be this person. Second, what is the picture of vine, what the picture of the vine also reveals this. The picture of the vine means that Jesus is the source of life and nourishment. I am the true vine. I am the source of life and nourishment. Think of the picture. The vine provides life and nourishment to its branches. Right? If we had a grapevine in here and I cut off one of the branches, that branch is no longer connected to life and nourishment. That branch is effectively dead. That is the picture, right? This is how plants and vegetation work. The roots and the trunk 
provide life-giving water to the rest of the plant so that those plants can grow and mature and ultimately produce fruit. That's the purpose, right? This has been Jesus' point, by the way, all throughout John, right? If you are in me, you have life. If you believe in me, you have life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. If you are connected to Jesus, you are connected to life. That's what the picture of the vine illustrates. Third, by claiming to be the true vine, and this is the one that I, you can't miss, okay? This is, as, this is as important as the other two. By claiming to be the true vine, Jesus is claiming to fulfill the very purpose for which Israel was called. Did you know that Israel was given a mission in the Old Testament? That God gave Israel a mission? That they had a purpose and a reason for being chosen? This is what Exodus says. By the way, right, this begins all the way back with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude, I'm going to make you the father of all the nations, and in you what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Kings and, nation, kings and rulers are going to come from you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. Okay? And then over in Exodus chapter 19, this is what God says. He says, now therefore, he's speaking to the children of Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's your mission. Out of all the nations of the earth, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was to shine the light of God's glory before all of the earth. That was their job. You were to shine the light of God to all of the nations. They were the one nation on earth where the glory of God dwelled among them at the temple. And Jesus says here that he's come to fulfill that very purpose. I am the light of the nations. I am the one. I am the priest and king who reveals the Father to the world. I'm the seed of the woman who's come to crush the head of the serpent. I'm the one through whom all the nations will be blessed. Listen, Israel failed, everybody. In the Old Testament, Israel failed over and 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 over again. That's what they did through their rebellion, through their idolatry, through their faithlessness, through their covenant breaking, through their constant turning to other gods. Israel failed in every way in their mission. And Jesus alone steps onto the scene and says, I have come to do the will of my Father. I only do the things that please Him. And I will accomplish the purpose. I am the true and better Adam. I am the true vine. I am coming to fulfill the very purpose for which Israel was called. Jesus is the true vine. That's who he is. Second, the Father is the vine dresser. So, Jesus is the true vine and his Father is the vine dresser. This is what distinguishes his I am statement from all the other ones. Here Jesus shows this intimate connection with the Father. He says here in verse 2, Every branch in me... He says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So what this is, this is a picture of the father lovingly tending his vineyard and working to see that Jesus' disciples bear fruit. Now, what you see here is that the father is doing something, right? The father is pruning the branches in order to make them more fruitful. He will prune away things like maybe pride, anger, bitterness, jealousy, greed, lust, self-reliance, anything that would prohibit the branches from producing more fruit. Now, I will say this, for those that have been under the gardening shears of the Father, this does not always mean a pleasant experience. Oh, have you not been, God never taken the shears to you? It is not a pleasant experience all the time. Sometimes it is painful, sometimes it is hard, sometimes it is heartbreaking. In fact, it, it all, in most cases it is very painful. But here's the thing, the Father's pruning here is not an act of hate or an act of contempt. It is an act of love. The Father lovingly tends and cares for His vineyard and prunes it for better fruitfulness. The farmer has a vision of a healthy farm and does the intentional work to make it happen. We have many farmers in our congregation. This picture should be very, very, very true to them. We have many gardeners in our, in our church who understand these things that when you tend a garden or a farm or a vineyard, there is work that has to be done for all of those plants to be as healthy as possible. And the Father does that. Whatever unpleasantness we experience is part of the good farmer's bigger work of making us healthy. He prunes us for greater fruitfulness. But notice also there's a stark warning. Look at verse 6. There's a very stark warning here. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, let me say here that scholars are very conflicted about what Jesus means here. They're very conflicted. I mean, they question, like, is Jesus referring to Judas, who's about to betray him? Remember, Judas is here listening to all this. Is Jesus talking about Judas, who's going to be cut away? Or is he speaking like the parable of the wheat and the tares, you know, where they both look just alike and we won't know to the end of the age Who's a wheat and who's a tear? Like, you remember that parable? So in that sense, is he talking to those who look like true branches and they look like they're attached to Jesus, but they really aren't? So in the end, it will be proven that they're really dead branches. Is that it? I mean, that's a difficult text. I'm not going to try to take the teeth out of it. I know some of you want me to make that more comfortable for you. My pastoral advice... My pastoral counsel to you is to take Jesus very seriously. Okay? My pastoral counsel is to take Jesus very seriously because I think the warning needs to be heeded. Listen to what 2 Peter says. 2 Peter 2.10 says, Let each one make his or her calling and election sure. So Peter says, don't take for granted that you're a believer. Actually, make sure your calling and election is sure. Get to the bottom of your faith. And see, is it Jesus or is it just a fear of hell? Is it Jesus or is it I love comfort? Is it Jesus or is it something else? 
Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. So in the Bible, what we do with the warning is we take it as a real warning. And we go, Jesus, I hear the warning, and I'm going to reflect, and I'm going to look at my heart, and I'm going to see, am I trusting Christ or something else? So there's a warning here. So take heed of both. There's an assurance. The Father prunes those that are His. And there's a warning. Make sure that you're attached to the vine. Make sure you're attached to the vine. That's the key, right? Be attached to the vine. Be attached to Jesus by faith. That's the issue. And then, so the Father is the vine dresser who has a role in this garden. And then third, Jesus' disciples are the branches. Jesus' disciples are the branches, right? He says, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. So the overarching responsibility here to the branches, if you read through this text, you will see a command over and over again. The branches have a job. They have a responsibility. And that job is to abide in Christ who is the vine. We are called to abide in the vine. That means we must remain in the vine. We must stay attached to Jesus as our source of life and purpose. That's what the command is. You can underline it or circle it or highlight it in John 15 over and over and over again. Abide in the vine. Abide in me. Remain in me, abide in my word, abide in my love, remain in me. And so, the question is, how do we abide in Christ? Now, as I close, I'm going to go quickly. There are five keys here that explain what abiding in Christ looks like. If we're going to abide in Christ, there's five keys here, okay? Here they are. Number one, abiding in Christ, as I've said earlier, involves pruning for greater fruitfulness. To abide in Christ is to willingly accept the pruning and discipline of the Father. You cannot abide in Jesus if you try to avoid growing in spiritual maturity. If you try to avoid the pruning discipline of the Father. If you, do, if you are never disciplined and you are never seeking to grow spiritually, you are not abiding in Jesus. And I would argue you might not be in Jesus because if you're in Jesus, you're going to be pruned. You're going, to be, um, you're going to be disciplined, right? Think about this. Um, I grew up on a small farm, and I, every time I think about this text, I think about suckers on a tomato plant, okay? Uh, my, my parents love tomatoes, and we grew them by the hundreds of them, okay? That's what we spent our spring and summers doing was picking tomatoes. And every time we would have to go out there, my, my dad would say, we're going to pull all the suckers off the tomato plants. That's what we're going to do. Why? Because all those, those suckers never produced tomatoes, all they did was suck life out of the tomato vine. That's all it did. And so, if we're going to abide in Jesus, he's going to pull those things off of us. Whatever that is, okay? As the author of Hebrews says, right? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we're proved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. And then he says, not, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Why does the Father discipline us? For fruit. Why does He prune us? For fruit. So that's part of abiding in Christ, being disciplined. Second, abiding in Christ is living in complete dependence on Him. 
To abide in Christ is to depend on Jesus, to rest in Jesus. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Circle that, underline it, highlight it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. Abiding in him, this is the key principle of discipleship and missions. The key principle, you must abide in Jesus. He intends for us to know that he's the vine, we are the branches, we have to know the distinction, right? You are not the the vine, you are the branches. You cannot do what only the vine can do. We are simply conduits, channels of the vine's life and purpose, We have to remain connected to the vine so that the life of the vine produces its intended fruit in us. Very simply put, if you're separated from the vine, you can't grow fruit. Go buy you a grapevine, cut off a branch, and lay it down and see if you have grapes in a couple months. It's not going to happen. The branch is not self-contained, self-directed, or self-existent. It is by its very nature dependent on the vine. That's what it means. Number three, abiding in Christ means remaining in Christ's word and praying in Christ's name. You have to abide in Christ's word and pray in his name. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So look at that in two halves. The first half is about Christ's word abiding in us. That's the word of the gospel, by the way, that, God, that Jesus has preached all throughout his ministry. It's the word of believing on him, of coming to him by faith for light and life. If we abide in Christ, we hold tightly to that word. We hold tightly to the gospel. That's how we grow and mature and abide in Jesus. That's what Paul says in Colossians, right? Let the word of Christ, what? Dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here's my advice to you. Application. Get up every morning and preach the gospel to yourself. Get up every morning and be reminded you're a sinner. And get up every morning and be reminded you have a great Savior. And stick to Him. Abide in Him. And then, but look at the second half, right? The second half, what does he say? Connect the second half of of verse 7 and verse 16 when Christ says, Pray in my name. If Christ's word abides in us, then we can ask anything in his name and he will act. Now this shows again, Jesus is our ultimate help, our ultimate hope. So if you're abiding in Christ, you're not going and looking to other gods. You're not going and looking to other people for your hope or your help. So here's the question. How can you abide in Christ if you do not pray through him in his name? How can you abide in Christ if you're not walking in fellowship with him and his spirit? So here's the the question, right? Does your prayer life demonstrate an ongoing desire and an ongoing dependence on Jesus for life, for light, for fellowship? Are you you, Is Christ's word abiding in you? And are you abiding in that word? And are you praying in Christ's name? And then next, abiding in Christ means remaining in his love. I got to go faster. 
It means remaining in his love. He says in verses 9 through 11, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So follow the argument here. How do we remain in Christ's love? We keep his commandments. Right? That should be as clear as day. Keeping his commandments then leads to joy. That's what Jesus says. Don't miss that connection. The very joy of Jesus, who delighted to do the will and commands of his Father, comes to us through obeying his commands. Now, every one of you in here have believed the lie. I have believed the lie that obedience does not lead to joy. We've all believed the lie, in fact, that says obedience is a killjoy. Obedience isn't joyful. Disobedience is where joy is found. Anybody else believe that lie? I believe that lie 10,000 times. That's Jesus' point. That lie is what steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus, let me remind you, was the most joy-filled person that ever walked this earth. It was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross. It was Jesus who delighted to do the will of his Father. Obedience was the path to joy. So let me tell you this. How was all of your disobedience working out for you? You got more joy at the end of it? You got more peace? You got more happiness? You got more contentment? No, you got more death. You got more the the vampiric sucking of the life out of you. It's the path. Abiding in Jesus means remaining in his love, obeying his commandments, and being filled with joy. And finally, abiding in Christ means there will be fruit that results in the Father being glorified. Look at verse 8. This is the linchpin. Verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That is the key of the whole text. The ultimate goal, this is the ultimate goal of Jesus for his disciples. This is the will of God for your life. This is God's purpose for you as a Christian. This is the purpose of our church and our mission. Abiding in Christ and all that it entails is to glorify the Father and prove we are Christ's disciples. The question then has to be asked, right? Well, what kind of fruit is Jesus looking for? What's Jesus looking for, right? If I'm supposed to have this fruit produced in me, what's the fruit going to look like? Well, let me tell you. In the context of the last few chapters of John, it is clear that Jesus expects his disciples to do a couple of things. He expects you to obey his commands and especially obey his commission to go make more disciples in the world. The disciples are to bring glory to the Father by telling the world that God the Father has sent His Son to die for our sins and raised Him from the dead so that we can have forgiveness and eternal life in His name. That's what Jesus is going to say. The same way the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, right? So, abiding in Christ, hear me, this is where people miss it. Abiding in Christ cannot simply be an inward idea of walking with Jesus alone. Think about that. That's what a lot of people say after they read this. Well, Jesus just wants me to get alone with him by myself, and I'm just going to abide in Jesus and be happy and 
who cares what else happens in the world? That's not what Jesus is saying. It's the opposite, right? It's quite the opposite. To abide in Jesus is to produce the same fruit that Jesus produced, which is more disciples who call on his name by faith. The whole mission of the grapevine is what? What is the whole mission of a grapevine? Why does a grapevine exist, Henry? To produce grapes. That is what it was made to do. What is the purpose of corn? To make corn. What's the purpose of an apple tree? To make apples. What is the purpose of a disciple of Jesus? To make more disciples. I, I'm just telling you, this is what it is. So the whole mission of a Christian is to glorify Christ, to glorify God by obeying His commands, to love God, love people, and make disciples. And that proves that we are disciples. Now, of course, I'm not arguing that the fruit isn't also, you know, the fruit of the Spirit isn't also love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in us for sure. But it also produces this growing desire to make Jesus known among the nations. Now, as we close, here's my questions. I know I'm over, but y'all got to just deal with God's word this morning. Here's the question How are you doing? And abiding in Jesus. How are you doing? This is where, by the way, this is where you will be the most tempted. This is where you are most tempted day by day. Think about it. You will be tempted to leave the vine and go attach yourself to something else. You will be, you will be tempted to look for life and purpose and nourishment in other things or relationships. That's what the enemy does. Jesus says the mark of a disciple is that they abide and remain and stay attached to him. So here's my invitation. You have to be attached to Jesus before you can abide in him. You have to be attached to him. Abiding in Christ is not the way to have a relationship with God, but the way the relationship works. Right? The way to become attached to the vine is to place your faith in Jesus. Right? We are, as Paul says in Romans 11, grafted into Christ by faith. When you put your faith in Christ, you are grafted into the vine. You are attached to the life-giving sap, and you can remain and abide in Him. So if you don't know Jesus, you can't abide in Him until you're attached to Him by faith. If you're a Christian, I want you to boil everything down. Think about your life. Boil everything down to the base, to the bottom. The command to abide in Christ is to stay close to Jesus every moment, every day. While you work, while you pray, while you parent, while you play basketball, while you watch the game, while you witness, while you rest, you are to stay close to Jesus. So close that His life is flowing into your life, His love is flowing into your life, His Spirit is flowing into your life. Listen, when an astronaut... At the International Space Station goes on a spacewalk, you know what? You better believe they're tethered to that space station. You know why? Because if that tether breaks, they are gone. It is over. Or think about an old diver in a diving suit where they have a snorkel that goes up to the main ship. What happens if that snorkel is cut? They are dead. It is over. They are going to suffocate and die. You better believe that this is the most important thing. 
If you are cut from the oxygen of Jesus, you will perish. Christian, Jesus is your lifeline. He is your life. There is no life, no joy, no peace, no hope. Nothing good without Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Christian, stay close to Jesus. Almost all of my counseling with people has to do with them not staying close to Jesus. That is the issue. Now remember, life is pouring out of Jesus into you, not the other way around. Jesus is not dependent on him, on us, we are dependent on him. The Christian life, hear me as I say this often, the Christian life is not a series of religious duties that make us more independent or more self-fulfilled or more self-efficient. Growth in the Christian life is becoming more aware of our need of Jesus and going to him more often, not less, for more help, more sustaining grace. My question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Will you pray with me? Father, bless your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge and change us by your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.